As always, we want to thank our sponsor, the Norden Group of Salt Lake City. Why do portfolios of large institutions, endowments, and pensions look so different than the portfolios of high net worth individuals and families? The philosophy at the Norden Group is that you should invest your portfolio like an institution. This approach leads to complete transparency. Some key questions to ask yourself. What do I really own? How much am I paying in fees? What costs am I paying that are not disclosed? Would I be better off in a low-cost index fund? At the Norden Group, we conduct what is called a portfolio audit, which can help reveal these and other important details. Call us to set up your appointment. Investment advisor services offered through Townsquare Capital LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Townsquare is not affiliated with any other named entity. Thanks, as always, to the Norden Group. Uh, we're back here after a, a less eventful week. I feel like last week with Point to Point and all the NICA stuff going on, we were kind of sitting here talking about the news we had to run over. And, and thankfully this week, uh, it's a little lighter because Dan has a, a really good deep dive that we're going to do the kind of tail end of this episode. Um, but yeah, we're not, not quite as much going on this week as we had last, huh? Yeah, I've only... I mean, I'm, I'm obviously missing some things, but... Just a couple shout-outs. Um, this weekend was kind of the Elijah weekend. I have two Elijahs I want to kind of shout-out. First of all, um, Elijah White up in, uh, I think it was Snow Basin. Got he was one of our var- He's one of our pink riders, got third in varsity, which is super Whoa, cool Whoa, which result. division is that? Um, I can't remember what can't number remember of it is, but one. they raced up in Snow Basin. You said third? Third in varsity, yeah. So that that's third, a third place in a varsity race, man. That's is, pretty sweet. For as high as the, actually, I was talking to Andrew about this yesterday. For as high as the level of competition is right now, that's a pretty big deal. And yeah. on Snow Basin too, that's like a real true blue mountain bike yeah, course. Yeah, it's beautiful. I'm oh, sad yeah. we don't get a race there, Powder Mountain. We kind of get the desert. Yeah. The desert mining town rides, but um, then the other Elijah is Elijah Larkin, did the Wasatch 100. Elijah did the Wasatch 100. Yeah, did he, he really? finished it. That is just like it's it's something that I'm just kind of conflicted with because it sounds so cool and so awesome. Like you get to just cover some amazing real estate. Like as you're on that journey, you know, 100 miles just on really rocky, ridgy. Like most people couldn't. Like if if most people did like a five mile section of that, that would be a very difficult hike for them. Oh yeah, that'd be like a it's, big go get a burrito and take a nap after Saturday excursion. You know. Yeah. Like that's and those Larkins, man. It's it's just mind blowing that somebody can endure that, and it's just super cool. And so, props to. I him. don't know how you do it. In the in the next life, I hope I can do something half that cool. You hope you're reincarnated as a Larkin. <laughs> That'd be nice, yeah. That'd, so that'd be cool, man. I, I'd love to know if it's I wouldn't have any more excuses up, up, up there. Or if it's it's that's you know good genetics it's, or something. Yeah, it's just it's like the opposite genetics. of the genetic cards I was dealt. I'm Thank sorry. you very much, Dan. <laughs> um, that's fantastic, though. Wow, props yeah. to both of them. That's huge. Yeah. So that was, but yeah, uh, super. Yeah. So not a lot of shoutouts. Mostly, I was just thinking um, how you know I love doing this podcast. It's something I just really enjoy doing. And I just really wanted to take a moment just to thank everyone that takes the time to listen. Um, that just really means a lot to know that that somebody out there might actually be listening. 
Well, it's yeah. kind of jarring when people tell me they listen. I've said that before, but it, like people tell me they listen, it almost kind of freaks me out a little bit because it's kind of nice to imagine that you and I have this weird conversation where we hold microphones and then it ends there. But um, yeah, thank you. It's, so, it really means a lot when you you make something and people enjoy it. That's like one of the best feelings ever. Yeah. So so thanks to you who who do listen. I know it's not an enormous group, but um, hopefully it's somewhat enjoyable and. You know, we got a bunch of smart people out there listening to a couple of dummies talk. And it's just kind of funny of all of the amazingly smart and accomplished people that are involved in this team that you and I are the ones who are doing like the public outreach part. So I know, it's kind of the, isn't it like the Dunning-Kruger? Dunning-Kruger. That's actually, I was reading about Dunning-Kruger. And, and if you're not familiar, that's basically where the less people, the lower people's level of competency or knowledge in a subject, the higher their confidence in talking about it is, which is where you get your coworker who always comes over to you at the water cooler and tries to tell you about mountain bike. Cause you know, you mountain bike and he's like, Oh, well I have an $800 mountain bike. So I really know, you know, like that kind of, you know, or like me giving financial advice to somebody. Like, I've, asked, I've asked Alex Grant questions about biking. Like I drove him to St. George one time and he was like, Oh, I don't know. You know, just like, Oh, racing's the, I'm like, dude, you come on. Like if anybody can talk about this, it's you, you know? So we're yeah. probably hovering somewhere in the middle. I'd hope, you know, um, I'd like to think I know some things, but Every time we do these deep dives with Dan, I'm shocked by how much I don't know. So, yeah, thank you to everyone for listening. It's, it's, uh, uh, we do appreciate it. We always look at that little view count and it freaks us out a little bit, you know. But um, I'm actually excited about this episode. This is a good one. Dan, Dan told me that this is the episode he has prepared the most for, or that he's the most excited for. I just think it's it's super valuable. But before we get into the deep dive or... Or any of the news. Yeah. Um, we've got a little bit of news. And I was just, um, I was out pre-writing the price course yesterday with a few kids and had a super good time. It was so much fun. Like, I actually really like pre-writing. Um, it just kind of always makes me wish I was actually able to race. But I'm not, I wish they yeah. would do coaches races. I, you know, I just need another race I can lose, you know. But <laughs> um but yeah, I had a super good time. And, and something that I like to do, like I like to recommend to people is that they do these kind of, in, I call them endurance pre-rides, where you go to the course and you kind of combine your endurance ride with pre-riding. So you're just going to go out there and for like three or four hours, just do laps around the course just to really, really get it dialed, give you a little bit more of the home court advantage. And, um, you know, and lately I've been kind of having kids like take like each lap, take a five minute section and treat it as like an interval. Like it really put effort into five minutes of it and kind of pretend you know, you're in the race for a second, even more, even, even a little more than a race effort, okay. you know? So, you, so you've eventually done a little section of the entire course at a really hard effort pace. So, um, and we were doing that yesterday. It was super fun. And I just, Again, I just thought of some just I've just got like a really short, quick list of some tips that I just kind of wanted to share for those getting ready for this next race. For this particular race and price? Well, just it, they're pretty it's okay. pretty general for whatever race course you have coming up next. And these are things I say all the time, but I get asked about them all the time. And I'm like, probably the people asking me about them a lot of times aren't really listening to the podcast or maybe they are. But um, so I probably even talked about them last week. I just think they're super important. I'm just going to keep repeating them. So hopefully that's okay. So um, the first thing I just wanted to point out is I was thinking about it. And this is based on a couple of conversations I've had with some different kids. But 
the right workout on the wrong day is the wrong workout. And by that, I mean, you know, if you've got a workout and you go to do it and you're not feeling it, you really do need to listen to your body, especially the kids that have been riding like all spring, all summer, have been consistent. Um, this is a long season that you guys do. Yeah, you know, there might be times where you might need a little more recovery after a race than other people, and that's okay, yeah. you know. That's a kind of a higher level athletic skill is knowing the difference between, wow, this workout's painful because this workout's hard and this is or counterproductive. Some, yeah, something's off. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's amazing what a day or two or sometimes maybe even three or four yeah. can make, you know. But if... If you think you might need a little extra recovery, if if something feels a little bit off, you know, take take a little time off. It's not gonna it's not gonna like a couple extra days off, isn't going to negate a whole three or four years of consistent training. No, I mean it sounds silly saying that, but when you're the athlete, you kind of feel like it's gonna wreck everything. Yeah, and but, remember, recovery isn't just not riding. Not all recovery is created equal either. You know, like if you if you try to do that workout and you're not feeling it. Um, get to bed on time, you know, mm -hmm. make sure you eat a dinner with some good protein, hop in the Normatex if you got those, you know, mm -hmm. like get do, some sleep. Yeah. Get the, I mean, sleep's the biggest one. Absolutely. Right? Sleep like that can be the difference between you only needing to take a day or two off versus four or five. Right. You know, and, and I've had kids that'll tell me one day they had, they felt rotten. They go easy that day. The next day they're on fire and they feel awesome. Yep. So yeah. just listen to those bodies. Yeah, that's the first one. Um, I know I say that a lot, but I can't. It's just so important. I can't say it enough. Um, the next thing is for all these races, just show up f fueled and fresh. Um, fueled, you know, like Thursday, you start eating more carbs. You start eating less protein, fat, and fiber, eating more carbs. On Friday, you want to make those carbs really, really simple, you know, kind of breads, rices, pasta. Juice is a really good one if you yeah. have a hard time eating. Like juice. Lots of carbs. Lots of carbs, and you can get a lot of it in you. It's Avoiding some fiber, too, you know. Yeah. Don't, don't have all bran for breakfast on Friday, probably. Yeah, you know, and you don't want to eat so much that you're going to get sick. You want right. to eat as much as you can comfortably, yep. but you just kind of shift it more from a, a good, healthy, balanced diet to a race fueling diet, which is it's kind of do the opposite of what you, you know. should normally do. Yeah. You know, just remember but, you guys are not average people. You're not sedentary adults. You're teen, teenage. It, and you're only athletes, doing this so. a day or two, a couple of days before a race. You Don't know. be doing this on some random Wednesday in February, probably, but yeah. right now is your time. So, yeah. So fueled and fresh, just remember those things. Um, another thing I thought of while I was riding out in the desert, see most of the races our division's doing are kind of desert. In fact, all of them are desert races, yeah. uh, except Soldier Hollow, I guess. But um, yeah. one, th one bit of advice I would have on a desert race, it's really simple, but just really try to keep that front tire on the trail. Yes. Like when you're riding in the desert, if your front tire veers off the trail, the desert's going to eat you. Yeah. You know. And really and, quick, if you're listening to this and, you, and that doesn't ring like resonate for you, most of these desert trails are just kind of compacted dirt, and then the dirt that's not the trail isn't compacted. If your tire goes into that, you're going to have a bad time. And a lot of people, depending on the kind of desert course you're riding, also have luck with slightly wider tires, lower pressure. Um, if it's a really dusty surface, you might even consider a front tire that's got a little more meat on it. Um, but maybe consider your tire choice. Like if you're really shooting for varsity podiums this year, um, go pre-ride. Think about your tires. Yeah. You know, Maybe switch tires for the day. 
depends. You know, a lot of times on, on the desert berms, you know, you want to not try to push the edge of the berm towards the top because those can be kind of soft and yep. and you can fly into the cactus. This is why pre-riding is important. And I'd even say if you're racing later in the day, it might be worth your time to go check out a corner or two. Maybe just even walk over and just see how the dirt's looking because if a lot of kids ride over it, it could change. Yeah, so just keep your front tire on the trail. Yeah. Desert racing's tricky. It's kind of it's it's it's, it's slightly so different. fun though, and I love it. It's just clear, oh yeah, it really clears my head. I think it's just amazing. I mean, if you race like Snowbird and Solitude I Cups and midweeks all year, and then you go down to Price or Richfield or St. George, it's a different ball game, huh? Yeah, something to consider. Yeah, and that's why I like that's why I love these endurance pre rides where you're kind of oh, combining yeah. your endurance ride with your with your pre riding. You know, so you just get a lot of time to kind of get it get it dialed and really kind of get a feel for the... When you say get a feel, I think the psychological part's kind of underrated with with pre-rides, like knowing I can expect to suffer for this long here, I can recover here, I need to be aware of this technical feature here, you know, like um, the more time you can spend on these courses, the better. Well, and we're really good at, like, we naturally want to do things efficiently. Yes. And it's like the more you do it, you just automatically become more efficient, so... I'm a big fan of that. So, and the last one um, is is just kind of finding speed everywhere. Like, um, I was surprised, like, when everyone thinks of the price, and I'm just talking about price because that's just the one I pre-rode, but I think this applies to a lot of race courses, but everyone just kind of dreads that climb at price. And Yeah, I've heard about it. I climbed it, and I wasn't going, I was pushing just kind of hard, and I timed it, and it took a little less than two minutes to get up it. Yeah. And, but it's, it feels like an eternity, but really yeah. like, you know, we do two minute efforts all the time and three minute efforts. You guys all the should time. be good at two minute efforts. There's plenty of, you know, so, there. so my, you know, that climb is, is extremely important, but I think a lot of people think that's the only part of the race and it's really not. Cause like it's a 20, you know, if it's like a 20 minute lap and that's a two minute climb, there's 18 minutes of other racing yeah. that there's a lot of time that can be made up or lost other places in the race course. So, so find speed where you can. I told, I've told my boys this every year I've coached. If you hark back to the very early days before Maybird, when we were involved with the Skyline Junior Devo team way back in like 2014, one of the coaches was Logan Fippen. We knew him as Lakota. He's a professional racer now for Novo Nordisk. And he told me that his favorite place to attack in a race was at the top of the climb. That's the, that's, yep. yeah, perfect. That's you know, really cause every good. Ki- like, and you know what? If, if kids are sprinting up the climb, like maybe let them, you know, like Dan said, if it's, if it, there's 18, you know, mostly 18 minutes of other um, opportunities that you'll have, uh, you know, to make up time and stuff. And psychologically, kids are going to push hard on that climb and want to rest at the top. So bear that in mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, everyone pushes hard at the bottom of a climb because everyone's fresh at the bottom of a climb. Nobody yep. pushes hard at the top of a climb. So everyone's kind of programmed to recover at the it's top of the climb. It's way easier to follow someone too. So if, if the kid in front of you attacks, maybe try to hang on to him and maybe even let him get a bike length or two ahead, save a match or two for the top. If they get attacked at the top of that climb where they're expecting a recovery, like getting attacked when you feel like you've just earned a time to recover is psychologically devastating. So maybe do that to someone this weekend. (laughs) You know, and then on the course, just think of all the places, like if you save a second here, a second there, a second here, a second there, um, that really can add up. Yeah. Like if somebody makes a stupid, irresponsible attack and burns a ton of matches and gets 15 seconds on you on that climb, 20 seconds, maybe even 30 seconds, like you can make that up in the rest of the lap, especially if you're, 
keeping your head on straight and hitting all the corners correctly and stuff, you will you will draw back seconds all over the place. Yeah. So, so yeah. So there's just a few tips. Um, you know, take them for yeah. what they're worth, right? There you go. Dan and I haven't won a lot of races, so maybe don't listen to us. But, um, but so yeah. what 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 do we have in the way of news, Joe? Well, the first thing, Dan, is it is September. Um, oh. I am so excited, man. Sep Kuss is still leading the Vuelta, which I did not expect. That's crazy. Um, we have an American leading a Grand Tour for the first time in 10 years. Isn't he from Durango, Colorado? He's from Durango, Colorado, I, I believe. One of those communities that, for some reason, there's something in the water, I think, probably, that spits out a lot of fast people. I mean, we've got Cuss. We've Isn't got that Riley Amos from there? Uh, uh, Grotz. Riley Amos? Is... I think so. Yeah. I think so, yeah. But uh, Sep leading the Vuelta by like a minute and a half, too. Got a crazy lead. Uh, we're in a position right now. I don't know that this has ever happened in recent memory where we have all three podium spots are Yumbo Visma right now. Mm. Remco uh, lost about 30 minutes on the Tourmalet a couple days ago, just completely fell apart. Won the next day stage, bounced back. But I think we might be looking at a single team taking all three podium spots at a Grand Tour. You've mm. got uh, you've got Seps leading, and then you've got Jonas uh, coming off the Tour in second, then you've got Primoz Roglic in third. So, September, man. Like, this is, you know, this is making me feel real patriotic. Yeah, watching makes me want to go buy some Jumbo. Oh, what? yeah, dude. So, you know what, do, do you remember what Jumbo is? I can't remember. Isn't it, it is a grocery a, store? It's a grocery okay, store. I'll yeah. shop, start shopping there. Yeah, yeah just go over to the Netherlands. But um, also uh, want to throw out, uh, we had the Leger World Cup. Um, Min and Walter uh, took another one. I think she's... Maybe the next big thing. I'm I'm really I'm on the middle wall of train. I think she's pretty killer. And then Victor Koretsky. Oh, cool. A name kicking around for a while. Uh, taking the win there. He's been kind of playing on the road a little bit. I'm trying to figure out where his uh, where his career should be. But he's kind of a veteran at this point, which is weird because I remember him being an up and comer. Um, but another big guy, big power rider. Uh, yeah, I haven't heard away. that name for a little while. That's... Victor Koretsky, yeah. So good stuff at the World Cup there. The last one I wanted to touch on is is Lachlan Morton. Have you have you heard about Lachlan Morton's latest? Adventure. Um, you've mentioned it before, but I don't remember what. It's Tour you Divide. Are you familiar with Tour Divide? I'm not. Where you ride basically from the Canadian border to the Mexican border, um, uh, just uh, east of where we are now, kind of going down through, I think Idaho and Montana and Colorado, and then down. I think so you're just basically crossing the U.S. Like... Crossing the the. Um, uh, the the divide right the what the, the continental divide okay basically kind of traversing that and uh, he, his goal is to break the fastest known time but to do it while still getting eight hours of sleep a night basically okay which is really interesting where he said he's like it's not fun for me to do these crazy rides if you're sleep deprived so he said his goal is to be able to enjoy it to cover an incredible amount of terrain you know kind of all in the same time so that's really interesting go watch that they're doing it for some charitable cause i forget which one but if you go to ef's website you can donate and follow his progress which is super cool that alternative stuff i've, I've been following it on instagram and that's that's some interesting stuff but um yeah that's i think that's all i want to go dan and i were kind of trying to decide how much we want to dedicate to news and other stuff and this week in particular i want to leave dan plenty of time because this topic i think is is a good one I think a lot of kids, this, I think this is one that like, I wish I could have heard this um, when, when Nike Joe is in the middle of making all his mistakes. <laughs> well, I've, I don't think I've ever been so excited to do a podcast because I just know so many kids that I just really think that this could help. And I think it's something that I don't think I've understood very well. And um, 
I'm starting to now that I'm kind of getting older and wiser and more senile, but um. yeah. Well, it's a less black and white thing. Cause a lot of times talking about zone two training or something like, or intervals, there's something approximating like hard science behind it. And we can kind of talk about numbers and energy systems and stuff. This is kind of more tricky cause it's a little more kind of cloudy and nebulous, but I, I'm confident that there's some people out there listening that this really could be a game changer for. Yeah. And I'd really love to change some games today. So let's, yeah. let's, uh, Let's kind of, let me start by telling a story. Basically, we're going to be talking about one of my all-time favorite books today, which I'll introduce in a second. Dick and but, Jane go to school? <laughs> well, I can read it and understand okay. it. But, um, but let me first start out by telling a true story about how amazing this book is. Okay, So you guys all know Linnea Webb, right? Oh, yeah. Cool. cool Legendary writer. Linnea. Yeah. Um, very talented writer. Comes yes. from, like, she's got some very good... Um, endurance athlete genes in that family. Webs and Larkins are kind of cut from the same cloth, you know. <laughs> outsized, you know, endurance athletic performances coming out of those yes. households. So um, I don't know if you guys remember, but back in 2020 when COVID broke out and we weren't able to meet as groups, um, I had this idea that we were going to do like a, like a segment. I, I went out and I made my very first Strava segment. Was this up at uh, Little Dell? Yeah, like we, Pioneer? yeah, we, I remember this. Yeah, we started. We I made a Strava segment where we started at the the new Mormon Pioneer Trailhead. Yeah, we rode up and then we got on the big mountain road. Yep, and, and finished then on finished the road, on the right? road. And yeah. I made that as a segment. And the the goal was is everyone was supposed to go out and do it and record it on Strava. Yep, and I had the KOM for like two days. Well, I actually had the initial KOM. Okay. Because I created the segment. Because no one does that trail that way. Like cutting yeah. out the last bit. We were, we were then, deliberately choosing a weird segment that would just. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then I think like the next day Ezra Heckman came and took it from me. Oh, yeah. Adam Heckman got the coach's KOM for that. And um, but yeah, it was it was super fun. And, and I, I remember like whoever won it got a pack of ding dongs was the prize. And because I wanted it to be a really stupid prize. Yeah. But. People really wanted those ding dongs. Oh was, yeah, yeah. So I think it's kind of it's fun. a naturally competitive group of people we're dealing with. Yeah, if you're like, here, you've got like, you've yeah, got these that people itch. are working really hard for a box of ding dongs. Oh yeah, yeah. So, um, so anyhow, Linnea went out and made an attempt at this, and you should go check out her Strava. It's really cute. She like, um, she basically in her in her the first time she tried it, she she said that like in her description, she's like. I told my dad, I am never doing that again. She's like, mental blocks are real. That was, yeah. and she was describing how much pain she was in. Yeah. And she actually reached out to me that night. She's like, okay, that was so hard. What, what am I doing? And so I'm like, I had this idea. I'm like, hey, you know what? I've got this book. I love this book. And I gave her my copy of it. And she took it and she read the book in three days. Whoa. Whoa. Which is another it's, web it's a pretty thing. big book right? it's yeah that's pretty impressive yeah. but linnea is super smart super good reader she read the book in three days on um on may 15th three days later she went out to attempt that same segment again we should say same fitness here yeah not much has changed like, in the, our, our our fitness our our our, our equipment didn't change in fact if anything she might have been more tired this time Probably, you know because yeah. On so May twelfth, she did the first effort. She got forty eight minutes and eighteen seconds. Okay. Okay. May fifteenth, she cut three minutes off that segment. Forty five minutes and 
five seconds. That is, that's really impressive. That's huge. Yeah, that's huge. But wow. the the really interesting thing is to like look at her Strava and read her her description after was just kind of funny and silly, and she's like. She's like, oh, that wasn't so bad. That felt so much better. Chrissy is awesome. You know, she's just like. Right, right, right. You know, it, it was just night and day. And I'm sure you've probably guessed by now what book I gave her. It's, yeah. it's How Bad Do You Want It by Matt Fitzgerald. Which you have mentioned on this podcast before, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. It's one of my, it's like an absolute, I have a few books that are like absolute must read books. A lot, quite a few of them are actually by Matt Fitzgerald. He's like one of my favorite authors amazingly talented author he he knows sports science really really well but he's also a really entertaining author it's a very engaging really, book really good storyteller um just an amazing book i i can't recommend it enough and and most of what we're going to be talking about today is kind of based on on that book you know i had a question i was kind of wondering and and so i got out that book and and this whole week i've just been like you know, everywhere I'm driving, everywhere I'm going, I've been kind of listening to it in fast motion just to kind of um, finish it up in time for you to do a podcast. Yeah, basically, you know. Um, and so that's kind of where our discussion is going to be based today. Just some of the principles in that book. So a while ago, and I've, I've brought up this question before, but Joe asked me a question once. And I've revisited this question several times. I think I know the question you're talking about. And each time I revisit it, I have a different answer. <laughs> You know, but he he's talking about two guys that were racing. They're famous people racing, and basically one of them. I think it was I think it was Chris Froome and Naira Quintana. Okay, and this was years ago. I can't remember the exact stage, but it was yeah. in the tour when Naira Quintana was the biggest competitor for Chris Froome. Yeah, and they were going both going for a win, and one of them just all of a sudden popped, and the other one didn't. Right. And Joe was like, "Why did he pop? What was it that popped him?" Right. And. I think the answer I've given Joe in the past has been, you know, is just fatigue. You know, you just kind of, you know, whether, and there's, there's like a lot of different things that cause fatigue. It could be like glycogen depletion. It could be like oxygen debt, um, acidosis from excessive lactate or something. You know, there's, there's like several things that can kind of be out of balance that would cause fatigue. And you know, I, and I don't think I was completely wrong, but I was reminded that about after listening to this book that actually what causes people to pop or to quit their efforts like that is is the perceived exertion is more than they can tolerate. Now, to clarify, you, I the question I asked you and the, and the case I was talking about was was somebody popping like at the line. Like we're not talking with 30 minutes of a climb to go. We're talking like in the last few seconds of the race, you know, and it was kind of, I could tell that it was something mental was going on. Right. Cause I'm like, and, and the comparison I always use, and I, this is probably not an appropriate but like if someone had a gun to your head, like if your life depended on it, could you do another interval? Right. Or in like, in this case, I'm like, these two are racing to win the tour, like the, the pinnacle of, of their sport. Right. And, and coming down to like the, this finish line here in the last 10 seconds that you'd pop. And like, that's why it's so interesting to me. Like, and, and, and I love that answer a lot more because you could, you could attribute that to oxygen depletion to your legs or sort of any one of those other things, but like for just another 10 seconds to win the stage, you know, or like, like when, when there's like a photo finish, you think like, could you have gone a half a percent harder to win the race? Right. And so that's why this kind of concept of like the, the perceived exertion 
being more than you can tolerate is such an interesting answer to me because like how much can you tolerate do you decide that is that like you know do some people have a higher pain tolerance so this is where this gets so interesting for me it, it really does it's it's super interesting and and it's a super powerful force too um and yeah so so this book really that's kind of the focus of this whole book is is understanding our relationship with with perceived exertion because um, this sport hurts like I think we don't I don't think we, we like give ourselves enough credit for that and like these kids like it is unusual to find young people who are willing to do a sport that is so painful so much of the time so an interesting thing is you were you just use the words hurt and painful but maybe those aren't the best and most productive words to use interesting okay um, because those are the words that I do use yeah they're, and they're, I think they're the words a lot of people use and I think I think really um, we probably need to understand and, and kind of think of perceived exertion differently. And, and I think that that could uh, it basically just kind of change our relationship with it. Um, and that's really, that's really what this book does. Um, Interesting. So, and I think I've kind of taught this principle incorrectly before, as I've probably taught a lot of principles. We um, reserve the right to be wrong <laughs> and to correct yeah. ourselves. Um, but, you know, I've kind of taught that our body has a system that, you know, once we get to a point where we're doing damage, that it kind of shuts us down. And I, and that's, um, that's this, it's called the central governor model. And it's not the prevailing theory today. I, I do think that exists. Yeah. But I don't think we ever really get to that point. Um, like that point, it exists, but we're not really playing with it all that often. If, if ever. ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what really, um, and, and this book points out that there's there's um, a scientist, Samuela Marcora, who has come up with come up with the most current theory, and that's the psychobiological model. Okay. Which basically what that is is our body is subordinate to conscious decisions based on the perception of effort. Okay. And so, um, so we're actually making conscious decisions based on how we perceive the effort. Okay. That is less intuitive to me. The first model makes a little more sense that your body's whole goal, that you're, you've, you've this being that's evolved to stay alive long enough to reproduce and that anything that threatens your safety is something, you know, like if you touch up a hot stove, that you get a pain response so that you have to take your hand off the stove so you don't hurt yourself, right? The second model seems a little more kind of fuzzy to me, like that. I'm like, that you're deciding to? What? Cause exactly. Because yeah. like that first one makes total sense to it me. It does to me, too. That you're hurting yourself and pain is making you stop hurting yourself, right? So where? But, so this is, this is, I think this is where a lot of people kind of get hung up. Yeah, it's really interesting because it's not like you're automatically getting shut off. You're basically shutting yourself off because right. you don't like... Because it hurts. You don't like how it feels. Yeah. Um, a couple. Here's just a couple really interesting quotes from the book that I. Um, he he says that when this is actually he's he, in the book he's quoting a Vincent Walsh who is a neuroscientist that says sports performance is the single most challenging thing the human brain ever does. That's a okay. That's big. That's, um, that's a big statement. That's and, a really, really you know, and, and he gave statement. examples in the book of like a, a lady that had like a a, um, a robotic arm that she was 
controlling with her mind. Okay. And she could only control it for like a small amount of time because it became so, even though she wasn't using any muscle, she was exhausted because of the amount of energy her mind was expending to, really? to do that. You know, like, like our mind is really an energy pig, you know? And, um, well, I've heard that before that like of all the energy your body uses, the brain, I don't remember, I'm not going to quote that I'm concerned, but it was like this, it's a huge for, percentage for something that doesn't move. It seemed incredibly high. Yeah. And, and I'm quoting again, um, the only thing an endurance athlete needs to endure is the perception of effort. So we're saying effort, not pain here, because I thought you can say the perception of pain. Yeah. And it's the perception of effort, pain. Um, I, I know this is probably not for later, but what's the distinction there? Why not say pain or hurt? Why, why, why do you push back on? Well, this is when I went to read this book again, I had two questions. One of them I'll address later, but one of the first one is like, you guys have all been very aware of my struggles with cramping. You know, it's been oh, yeah. so frustrating. To it's me. your white whale. And, and like, like this, the, basically this book talks a lot about like mind over muscle and, and, and so forth. I'm like, well, I can't just push through a cramp. You yeah. Know? Like there's no amount of willpower that, that could make me push through a cramp because right. like if I try to push through a cramp, it just gets worse. Sure. And that's intuitive because you can't will your way out of a heart attack. Yeah. You know, and, and so the book does point out, and for some reason I missed it kind of the first couple of times I read it, that, that perceived effort is different than pain. Okay. You know, like, like pain can be like a, like a pain from a muscle tear is different from perceived exertion. Okay. That makes sense. And like getting stabbed and climbing a steep hill, both hurt, but that's not. Yeah, same. one's that, pain and one's perceived exertion. Yeah, right? okay. like it, for instance, in, in one way you can kind of tell it's perceived exertion versus pain is like, say you're doing like a really hard one minute interval, and you're just going all out, and you're getting to the end of it, and you just you just can't don't think you can go anymore. All of a sudden, you get to the top, and you just stop. You kind of feel better instantly, right? Yeah, kind of. It's like I mean, you're still breathing hard, but as soon as that goes away that perceived exertion is, is kind of gone. And you well, feel... I remember like Nike Joe hoping to get a flat tire in races because it hurt so bad. And I wanted an excuse to be able to stop other than just quitting because I knew that the pain would go away or, or the, the perceived the exertion effort, or the effort would end. The per- perceived effort. And I, wonder, would go away. I wonder how many people have been in that situation. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine it's only me, you know, but where if it's like actual pain, like something's actually wrong with your body, you know, if you tore a hamstring or something, or that's still going to hurt when you stop the effort. I had someone, I don't remember who it was, but I did have someone say to me on time that if you understand what pain is, that's not something you seek out. Like if you've, if you've really hurt, like true pain, as I'm understanding, you're getting stabbed, muscle tear, cramp, etc., versus effort that like people chase effort because it feels good. Like we ride bikes fundamentally because it feels good. Or people go and run ultra marathons because it you know, well, in certain levels of perceived effort feel good, but then it gets to a certain point where that perceived efforts almost more than you can bear. But if you were stabbing yourself, like self-harm is like, that's like a psychological disorder. Mm -hmm. That's something you have to go to a doctor to deal with that. Like if you went to the doctor and said, man, I really love doing point to point. The doctor is not going to admit you, you know, like these are, so this is interesting. So I guess those are kind of distinct, huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we really need to think of it more as perceived effort and, not as pain because they are different things. Um, 
So an, another quote from the book, one cannot improve without changing their relationship with perceived effort. Okay. So, so basically, really, it's perceived effort, not necessarily pain, that causes us to, to quit. And this, this happens before our body would have to shut down. It's something we decide to do based on how much perceived effort there is. And it's, it's a very useful tool. Um, it's a tool that can be affected, and there's many things that can influence. So it's not always the most, I, I would say, reliable tool. But it's a very effective tool to help us kind of gauge our efforts and, and I, in a way, make kind of wise pacing decisions. And, oh, yeah. You know. Um, and so it's a very useful thing to, to be familiar with and understand and have a good relationship with and know that know what factors can influence it and, and so forth. So super interesting. But so in the book, how he illustrates it is... He, he gives an example of a fire walk, like where you're trying to walk across this field of fire. And across this field of fire, there's this wall. And that wall represents your physical limit that if you hit that wall, your body would shut you down. Okay. Because that is a thing, right? Yeah, it is a thing. There are, there are things. Because we discussed that it's a thing, but we're not really. But we don't get there. Very few people actually ever get there, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there's something that won't let us get there. And that's. Okay perceived exertion or perceived effort um so so with this example he, he basically talks about that there's you know there's different people have the ability to get closer to that wall than other people and there's there's certain things you can do to help get you closer to that wall you know and the, and the closer you can get to that wall the closer you can get to your maximum potential you know, and you can realize some of those things. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting way to think of my, my favorite analogy. Um, Jonathan Lee from trainer road talks about a ketchup bottle, you know, and like, you know, the ketchup bottle represents your fitness and how much you can squeeze out of the ketchup bottle is kind of like your, your mental toughness or your, you know, like maybe you can, maybe you could add water to the ketchup bottle so you can squeeze a little bit more, you know, so there's different things you can do. Well, because you and I both have seen, obviously, name names, like in, in our time coaching and being involved in all these, we've seen and remarked on kids before, like, this is somebody who's just really not willing to endure much effort. Like, that's the thing. People who might have significant physical talent or not, we've seen before, we're like, this kid just as soon as, as there's any pain, as there's any effort, this shut down. And then there's other people where we're like, you need to maybe reel it in a little bit well, yeah like, that's that's so true there's like and we're not like attaching like um this one person is more moral than the other or better as a person but like that is a because i know deserve. some people that don't consider it a fun ride unless they experience really high perceived exertion perceived effort yeah. um you know and i'm i'm the type that like i don't really i'm i'm one of those that i'm not really comfortable with high perceived effort You've said that before. I, I like, for those of you who have ridden with me know, I kind of have like one speed and I can do it for a long time. Yeah. But I don't really like, like I don't ever do cross races or I don't like to climb hills at Brighton or Solitude because they're too steep and they're too, you know, I kind of like my more long, gradual climbs for a long. So I think I'm one that probably doesn't have the greatest relationship with perceived effort. Which I should add is okay. That's like not, cause I think that's one of those things that we, for some reason make, Oh, well you're not as strong a person or whatever. Like that's fine. That's not a big deal. I do think our sport 
there's a higher concentration of people. You know, if you were to take 10 random people from Walmart and 10 random people in an iCup, I think the iCup, you're going to find more people who are maybe kind of more comfortable or, or more attracted to even, you know, those kind of high effort situations. But like really quick, I want to make clear that like, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, you also probably aren't ever going to win a World Cup though, you know? Yeah. Probably. Probably. Well, you know, who knows, right? But like, because e-bike World Cups are a thing now. But like, uh, but does that make, like, is that, does yeah. that track? Yeah. Like, it, different people kind of almost enjoy higher perceived effort rates than other people. Yeah. You know, like you really enjoy, uh, like, I honestly think you feel more fulfilled and have fun when you come home and, you know, you were like a nine out of a 10 on a yeah on the scale or whatever you know like and and again that's not necessarily good either because that hasn't done me many favors in the racing like if you look at my race results not even just across the past years but ever they're not that good you know like i i like to ride really hard because i i like to um but it's not it's not do i mean i'm never gonna win a world cup either you know like Mm -hmm. i'd have to change my relationship with that to you know actually get anywhere but I think the super interesting thing for people to understand about perceived effort is it's very, very subjective and it's, it, a lot of things can influence it. Um, we're going to, the book talks about a lot of things that influences and it goes into different, like he calls them kind of coping mechanisms to help you deal with it better and so forth. Um, you know, but even things just like how much sleep you get, your mood, and your motivation can greatly, oh, yeah. greatly affect how hard a given effort feels. Oh, oh, a hundred percent. Oh, yeah. Um, so, and, and I just think it's really important that we understand um, what can affect the, the how how we how we perceive these efforts. And I think understanding it is going to help us be a little bit more objective and and. Yeah, and that's kind of my first one. The first thing I wanted to point out is just um, just have a more objective understanding of perceived effort. Like, like a lot of times when you're like riding in a group and you're having a hard time hanging on or whatever, you kind of just feel like it's the end of the world that you suck and that this isn't your sport or you know um, the, the 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 world's ending or whatever. And really, if you kind of you you almost need to kind of look at it is it's just like another metric. Like you, you can't think of it. You think of it more of like your, your power, you know, oh, my power is 300. My heart rate's 140. My blood pressure is this. My temperature is that. My perceived exertion is this. Cause that, that's kind of where you said objective. And I kind of like that almost rubbed me the wrong way. Cause I'm like, can that you, I mean, your power, your heart rate is what it is. I mean, it could be what it is for a different reason, but at the end of the day that, you know, if your heart rate's at 98 beats per minute, it's at 98 beats per minute, no matter how you feel about that. Right. Mm-hmm. So when you say objective, like, is this something that can be truly objective or just less subjective? Well, like I said, it's just kind of like just another metric. You don't think of it as like, oh, I suck or this is the end of the world or I'm going to die or I can't do this. You just think, yeah, this this is hard. So just having some awareness of yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. Because my therapist always tells me, like, give yourself grace, step back and look at your situation and be like, if someone else is in the situation, what would you say about it? You know, if it wasn't you going through this thing, you'd be like, man, that's rough. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and he's like, why can't you do that for yourself? So is this maybe a similar thing? Like, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, it's kind of like, 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, you just, um, if it was somebody else, you'd probably just say, yeah, you're okay. But if it's you, it's yeah, the right. end of the world. You I guess know? it can go either way. You um, know? But it's kind of like what's important is how you feel about how you feel. How do you feel about how you feel? You know, so. Okay. So, yeah, you know, how you're feeling, just kind of think of it as like, yeah, it's this is just kind of a number. You know, it doesn't describe how worth how my worth as a person or anything, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just right now, this is kind of how I feel and it's, I'm not dying. It's, you know, I don't like it. It doesn't feel great, but you know, I'll, I'll be okay. You know, and you just kind of, it's just, yeah. And it's just, it's almost just information. Yeah. So, so that's kind of the first one, you know, I Um, actually really appreciate that. You know, like I had a kid do some intervals the other day and uh, he told me he just felt like garbage. And I'm kind of like, okay, that's okay. interesting. You know, um, this kid doesn't have a power meter and okay. was doing him alone. Okay. And um, and actually, well, I kind of thought like, well, how do you know you felt like garbage? Maybe you were going really, really fast and you didn't realize it. Maybe you're doing 100 watts more than you thought and you feel like garbage and, because that's really hard. Yeah. You know, you know, so... Or you maybe truly felt like garbage and your mental game was off and you couldn't push yourself to, you know, maybe 200 watts felt like 300 watts or, you know, maybe the other way. Because that's, and that's the value of something like a power meter is the more objective you can make these things, it's easier to say. Well, you can kind of compare, you know, your heart rate versus how you feel or your power versus how you feel or, you know, or, yeah. So just kind of want to throw that out there. So obviously another thing that majorly, majorly affects our our perceived effort is obviously our fitness right you know i mean it kind of goes without preparedness i guess yeah like so fitness basically what fitness does is it makes you be able to do the same amount of work at a lower perceived effort okay or you know a higher amount of work at the same perceived effort or however you want to say it because me climbing a hill at 300 watts versus nino schurter climbing a hill at 300 watts or even at the same speed you know, I'm going to be suffering and him. It's going to feel like nothing because he's more prepared than I am. Yeah, or fitter. even like even you at your most fit state you've ever been in, climbing that hill at 300 watts is going to feel different than you at your, you know, at your worst place you've ever been. It's going to feel different, you know, based on your level of fitness. So, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, basically fitness can make us do more work at a lower perceived exertion. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty obvious. That's pretty intuitive. But okay. yeah, it's good to point out. I think you not going to push back on that one. <laughs> um, this one is just huge, 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 huge. One of the, I think the most major influences on your perceived effort is how well you think you are doing. Okay. This is, I relate to this one. Yeah, you just kind of lit up right now. Yeah, this is something I hear all the time because I love following professional cycling. And when you're talking about Linnea, what, what that is, we, this is a time trial. And if you're not familiar, time trial is you are racing alone. And um, the distinction is most cycling events are mass start. You're with a bunch of other people. You can see how you're doing relative to other people. But in a time trial, time trials are really interesting disciplines because Linnea does not know how she's doing. 
you know and and they say all the time that in a time trial if the writer is doing well the guy in the car following will be like you're doing great you're 35 seconds up you know you're 38 seconds up now you make time but that if they're going badly if they're a minute down they don't say anything and I think writers kind of learn that if they're not hearing anything that's bad anyway but they're not going to be like you're a minute 30 down push harder you know because that's going to make it feel worse because if you feel like it's like it almost kind of feels futile at that point you're like oh why bother I'm already losing you know like is it is it worth dealing with this effort to get the result I didn't want versus like you know I remember the one of the best feelings I've ever felt was Red Rock Rampage 2015 it was like I think it was my first non-Nike race ever and I thought I'd lose and I was so scared and I went off the line and I was winning easily and that felt amazing because I remember just like felt like Superman could attack wherever I wanted I won that race right and um I have no idea how hard that race was because I felt so good the whole time feeling like I'm complete and really in retrospect I was sandbagged I probably should have been in the next division up because it was my first race I had no idea but then that versus like Nike races I did where I thought I was a lock for a top five spot and then I'm I'm suffering in 12th place that's a whole different ball game so that's something that really resonates for me well yeah like you could be I mean picture yourself climbing the price hill okay and you just all of a sudden find yourself unexpectedly in first place yeah and you look back and you see second place is kind of falling back and looking really really tired yep you could be pushing 300 watts up that hill, feeling no pain whatsoever, yep. and you could even ramp it up a gear. They say diamonds in your legs is the cycling phrase. Is that the phrase? Okay, I like yeah. that. You know, then picture yourself at the price race. You could be like falling back from your group. You can kind of see the group kind of climbing up that hill. and Your buddy that you usually hang with at practice. Yeah, they're, they're getting you, some yeah. distance on you. You could be pushing that exact same 300 watts. And and it could feel really, really hard and just horrible. Which is funny because in a lab setting, you're pushing 300 watts. Yeah, your body way. is, it's the same body doing the same thing. Yep. But in one set of circumstances, it feels awesome. And in another set of circumstances, it could feel terrible. Or even like this is more intuitive to me. Everyone in front of you crashes and suddenly you're in first place. Because like in those two situations, really like in the first situation where you're completely destroying your competition, you're in better shape and everything. But let's say that like you're in that situation and then aliens abduct the first 11 racers and all of a sudden you go from 12th to first. You better believe you're going to feel different about that effort because now you're the leader, right? So that's like, and I think that one's a little more intuitive. I think most people would be like, okay, I felt that before, you know, or if you're doing well at your job, even, you know, like a really difficult job can seem easier once you're the top salesman, you know? And, and like I heard a, a story of a guy that was trying to get a four minute mile and his coach was calling out his times as he was going around and yeah. the coach accidentally called the wrong time on his first lap and it was way better than this guy was expecting. Yeah. And he's kind of like, okay, I'm going to go for it because yeah. he felt so, he thought he was doing well. So he yeah. went for it and, and he ended up like breaking his record based on some misinformation that a coach gave him on his yeah. lap times, you know? So um, this, is, this goes either way, and I'm sorry to keep digging into this one. Cause, cause no, I just this is super important. I mentioned in the news that Remco lost like 30 minutes on the Tourmalet, right? Which was really interesting, because the next day he went and won. I almost wonder if this is what's playing into that there, where you're doing a little worse than you expected. The Yumbo guys are getting away from you. You know, you're having a hard time keeping up, and that you fall into... Because like, Remco losing 30 minutes is inconsistent with him winning the next day stage. 
like no fitness change. And again, like you said, he's going to be more fatigued that next day. Right. And you kind of have to wonder with those, like, or you've even seen it with like Nino. I think when Nino a couple of years ago came off of being completely unbeatable to being the best, but beatable, I think there are a couple of times where you see him like, okay, like this is interesting. Like it's, it's, and we talk about this all the time, the kid who wins freshman bumping up to varsity, the same kind of mental thing happens where the, I don't know if you call it the winner's advantage or something like that, you know, that kind of uh, mindset, uh, once that's not there, the fitness, because again, like Remco's fitness didn't change from day one to day two, but he went from losing 30 minutes to winning the next day's stage. And of course, his, his welts is still over. You know, the, the Yumbo guys are only a minute or two behind. He wasn't racing for the GC anymore. But maybe that played into it, that the pressure was gone, you know. Well, they talked about this, the exact thing in the book, and two different stories. Um, like there's this one lady that was a, a college girl that was like, just dominating college running and she had all these pro contracts and it was her last race of her college career I guess and she um, she was just absolutely unless like an alien abducted her she was going to win the race right like and everyone knew it you're a lock for it yeah and she um, she was running feeling pretty good and one of her competitors was just kind of like right there with her and she would kind of increase her pace this competitor would increase her pace and eventually got to the point where this competitor passed her and it destroyed her mentally. And she, she ended up dropping back to like 30 places or something and, Mm -hmm. and, and fell on the ground and couldn't walk. And, um, it was like disastrous. And they, after she was checked out, there's nothing wrong with her medically. Yeah. It was completely a, a mental shock that, you know, that her effort wasn't producing the rewards that she wanted, you know, and it just, it, it really messed with her mentally. Uh, another story in the book is a guy, and he, I don't even remember his name, but he unexpectedly in the tour got the yellow jersey. He was a French guy. You might know who it is. How long ago is this? I can't remember. But um, he kind of unexpectedly ended up with a yellow jersey. And once he kind of got that jersey, it became so motivational to him that he kept winning more and, and people kind of thought he wouldn't keep it very long. But this could have been Julien Alphilippe a few years ago. If this was recent, that's kind of what happened where he came into the yellow, a talented writer, but not somebody. I don't, I don't think were. it was him, but yeah, okay. I'm sure this has happened. Similar thing times. where all of a sudden Alphilippe's putting in these incredible climbing performances and winning that time trail. There's a famous time trail. He won in Poe. Um, everyone, and he didn't, I mean, he ended up cracking in the end, but people hadn't even considered him yeah. as a GC contender. And then all of a sudden, once things start going well, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of interesting to see. Like, there's, there's a ton of examples of this happening. Yeah, so the lesson to be learned is believing that you're good can elevate your performance. Yes. And now this goes either way, because we could be talking to a kid who's like, look, you might not feel good about your racing now, but maybe all you need is for something to go 5% better. And then on the flip side, we could be talking to a kid who's like, yeah, you won the last three varsity races, you kind of have more to lose. You know, like you have to be really aware of the fact that if things start going slightly less well for you, are you going to be able to contextualize that well enough to prevent complete meltdown? You know, I think it's kind of interesting. We're talking to kids on both sides of it here, right? Kids where things are going really well, you need to be aware of this. And kids, things aren't going very well. You need to be aware of this too, because this kind of up or downward spiral but, can... But, but the real challenge there is thinking, okay, this same body, based on how I feel, could do this yes. or it can do that. Yes. And it's completely based on how I feel. Yeah. Like 
how can I make that same body do this when I'm feeling bad? Yeah. You know, like, cause it's in you somewhere. Yeah. But if, if things are going your way, it's a lot easier to express it. Yeah. But if they're not going your way, that doesn't mean you can't. There's, yeah. there's definitely some coping mechanisms and some things that you can do to really get that out of you. Um, and, and so you really can be your best regardless of how you're feeling. And this is where this gets interesting to me. Cause I said to Dan before this, and some of you, if you know, like I am overwhelmingly skeptical of motivational stuff of like, you know, when people post motivational stuff on their Instagram or like motivational Ted talks or whatever, I have always been maybe just temperamentally skeptical of that. This I think is different. This is like, we can give some pretty concrete, like I think Remco's a great example, like this day to this day. The fitness is the same. The equipment is the same. The weather is the same. Everything is the same. There's something that's going on here. And I do think, because like with your whole thing, like with you, how much like the effort you can endure, basically, right? The flip side is I don't think that anybody is strong enough mentally that you could just shift into the hardest gear on your bike and do 95 RPMs in a 32-10 gear and just go 40 miles an hour in the whole race. Even if your body's maybe capable of doing that for a few seconds, I don't think that like... Oh, you're eventually going to hit your where you cannot like, pers- the handle wall any is more... Perce- yeah. The wall is... You cannot get... You can't And be, the, even with perceived effort, there's a point where you cannot handle any more perceived effort. Right. Like you can be a lion and be tough and want it so bad, but like there's a wall. Even if, if a gun to your head, there's eventually a wall where you die, right? So like I do think this is a more kind of interesting, tangible thing where it's like, you need to be aware of what your brain is doing to your performance because that is real. I can point to that. We can, I can give you numbers, you know, and it's hard because you can't measure how and we've you, all experienced it too. Right. This is so, and it's not even just maybe even in athletics. Like, like said, we've all like, had that race where we think all is lost. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you see that guy or gal you've been chasing. You can see there. And then all of a sudden you just get this magical energy from nowhere. Well, you know? even outside of like, you're on a date. And they laugh at your first joke. How does that, like, and then all of a sudden you have confidence that you didn't have before. You know, that like you're going to loosen up and things are going to go, or if you're in a job interview and, you know, like something goes, well, versus like, you know, like I told a joke in a job interview one time that no one laughed at and it destroyed me for their, like my confidence fell apart. You know, like I was the same person with the same qualifications, you know, like this, this, and you know, and and I guess if you're listening to this and you are also a motivational skeptic, like loosen up for this because I do actually think this is something real is going on. Well, and I honestly think that what we're talking about right here, if anyone has pro aspirations, this is what separates pros from normal people. One of the major things, like I think of um, Braden Johnson. Yeah. Great example. Like he, he's basically was like a pretty normal Nike kid that took it all the way, you know? Um, And I do think he has, he obviously has talent and he has skill, yes. mm-hmm. but the thing I think he has more than any other person is mental toughness. Yes. I think that's what ultimately what got him to where he's at, you know. There are other kids who had the same or better natural physical abilities or maybe even physical aptitude who are not professional bike riders now. Mm-hmm. And it's something that, you know what, if this isn't your strength, it's something that can be improved. Yeah, it's you not. Know, it's uh, yeah, yeah you know, which is you know, exciting you know, and awesome. Yeah, yeah, you're not exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, and the book lays out like talks about a bunch of different coping mechanisms that can help improve 
our, our mental toughness and, and so forth. Um, some that he, he listed, one is just the audience effect. Oh, yeah, that's You know, I mean. like, yeah, you guys yep. have all, you're dying, but then all of a sudden you ride by your team and a bunch of your team members are cheering for you. Yep. And, like, it just gives you magical energy from I'm nowhere. I'm so sorry to jump in with others. I have a story that fits this so Oh, well. please do. So when Zwift was a fairly new thing, I was working at Backcountry, and um, it was such a big business that they wanted to give a demo. The competitive cyclist people wanted to give a demo to the backcountry people so they understood what Zwift was, so that they, their salespeople could understand it well enough to sell trainers and stuff and understand what Zwift was, right? So they had everybody get together in one of the big conference rooms, and they set up two Zwift bikes on the big theater projector screens they used for meetings. And two of my coworkers um, were on Zwift bikes, and they did a 10-minute race in front of like a hundred people, right? And both of them like set new FTPs um, because you had a whole bunch of people watching, right? They were like, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm Zwift. And they were both fairly casual riders at the time. They're like, yeah, you know, I was Zwift in my basement and I thought I'd gone all out and my effort was this. And then you're in front of a bunch of people like a week later. And because there's that pressure to perform, you know, that they're, I mean, in that case, their performance has got better. But on the flip side, the I flip think. side's choking. And that's that... the whole, there's there's two sides to all this. Like where I said a second ago, you're like, you know, and you can change your mental game. You can work on it. And I said, you're not doomed. And then I remember I should have said, and it's also not guaranteed. I think if you have the mental toughness now, like don't take that for granted. Like the fact that, you know, Braden Johnson could completely melt down and fall apart and not be a professional rider a year from now. Like nothing is guaranteed either way. You know, I think it's important to remember too, that if you're at the top of your game here, I've seen a lot of kids be at the top of their game and then completely melt down and stop riding bikes. Uh, yeah, that's a really good point because the audience effect can have a completely yes. opposite effect where it can yes. cause people to choke. You know, like that was if, me. That's Nike Joe. Yeah, that was me. Versus yeah. my my friend setting his new FTP in front of everybody because well, a bunch of people were watching. Yeah, and like like we've we've talked, and I want to do a whole podcast on choking um, because I know so many kids that my goodness, like they just are amazing at group rides and practices, and yep. you put them. You pin a number to them and they just fall apart. That's raising my hand, we have, you know, you have a YouTube stream that you can see here, but like that's people yeah. said that about me. All the, and I hated it, but it was because it was true, right? That I was like, I oh, I know so, have the capability I know to do so, this because like for me, I always get my best numbers and in, in PRs and stuff on races, you know, and, and which is intuitive. You which, think yeah. you would, but it's it's not even like I I think maybe even think that's the minority in some ways that like a lot of people, even if they don't completely melt down finish a race thinking like, is that really it? I thought I could do more than this, you know? So that's really interesting. You know, an, another thing that can really affect our perceived effort that he mentioned is, is the group effect. Another thing I want to do an entire podcast on, because yeah. I think it's so, so fascinating. And it's kind of like a macro micro thing, but um, you know, the macro kind of being like the community you're brought up in. Like we, we mentioned Durango. Durango yeah. yeah. You know, Kenyan runners. Um, or Europe, Belgium. Yeah. I mean, Belgium's a tiny country. There's nothing genetically going on that, that they turn out a lot of amazing cyclists because of something, right? But, um, but you know, the book kind of mentioned that, like, you know, when you work in a group, it actually releases more endorphins, which really are painkillers, you know, and, and um, they, they you, you like... I was so we we did this pre ride the other day with um, with like Joe Reinhardt and Andrew and Ben and you know this little group has been kind of riding together and just kind of feeding off each other and they're just killing it you know and um, 
kind of attaching yourself to a group of other motivated athletes and cyclists that are kind of moving upward and so forth can be extremely motivating. That is why this team exists. That That's kind of the magic of like Nike and stuff, yeah. you know, like it's so hard to go get your kid to go out and ride with you. But like, if they can, if you can find the right group of kids to ride with that, they can just kind of feed off each other and, yes. and magic things can happen. You know, if, if you're kind of alone and, and I see this happen a lot of kids where they like, they kind of stop riding with other people and yeah, it, it usually doesn't end well. Like, I think that's why a lot of kids kind of fall off the boat in college. Cause you don't have time, you know, you finish high school and then you don't have time to make it to every group ride and you sneak in rides when you can and sneaking in rides when you can and riding with other people are not compatible. No. You know, no group rides are magical, and they're. So, I mean, it, it's hard to express how important that aspect of cycling is. Like, well, it's, it's interesting too because this is like another one of those like fundamental drives of our species. I read a really interesting book one time that detailed the all of the different human species that existed a couple hundred thousand years ago, and we are the one, only one that still survives today. Homo sapiens, right? There's also Homo Nutanderalis, right? And this, I think I'm pronouncing that right. And this author, he was an anthropologist, he said he said that his and kind of the prevailing theory on why these other humans who were bigger and had larger brains than we did, why they didn't uh, survive and why they were outcompeted by our species is because we were more collaborative. And there's more evidence of us living in larger groups, working, you know, having that kind of collaborative and maybe even, you know, competitive within it itself sort of approach versus the kind of more isolationist, you know, and, and you can see that like people who collaborate well do well, not only in athletics, but in their careers. You know, Absolutely. like if you see, if have you ever met somebody who's really smart and competent, but just can't work well with other people versus mm-hmm. complete incompetent idiots who are really good at working the with right people team and so forth and yeah. end up being the CEO, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. worth so, considering. So too. really there's riding groups. Yeah. At least once a week ride socialist yeah especially i think if you're a beginner and and it's, I, I, especially if you're out of uh, past nika yeah try to find a group you can ride with yeah the so u has important. a great cycling team um so the next thing uh i think this is a good practical thing that people can do to kind of help deal with their perceived effort is is anticipation just you know when you're going to do something hard you just realize before you do it that this is going to be hard Yep. It's going to be temporary and I'm going to be okay. Yeah. That's a really good match. Say that again. It, you just anticipate that before you do something difficult, that it's going to be hard. This is going to be hard. It's going to be temporary. This is going to be temporary. But you're going to be okay. And I'm going to be okay. Yeah. The the perceived effort you're feeling isn't going to kill you. Yep. It You don't like it and you want it to yeah. end and that's okay. That's normal. No one has ever died in a cycling race because they went too hard. I, I feel comfortable yeah. saying that. So um, another thing, and, and this is another thing I want to do an entire podcast on is flow. Um, but basically flow is kind of the opposite of choking. Um, flow is where you become one with your effort. And there's a lot that could be said about flow, but if you've ever experienced it, yeah. it's awesome. It's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. Float even off the bike, you know, like on a date where there's a lot of, you know, uh, chemistry. Like, I feel like that's flow too, you know, mm-hmm. a job interview, you know, flow there, you know, you know, and, and flow requires training and competence. It does, yes. it doesn't come out of nowhere. No. It's not um, a power up in Mario, you know, yeah. in Mario Kart. Like it's, you know, 
You know, but, you see, and like you see professionals, even just the way that they ride and hold themselves and race, mm-hmm. there's there's some kind of permanent flow going on there that makes them the yeah, best. It it does. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of training to achieve it. But like that Michael Jordan documentary I just watched, like watching him play basketball, that's there's flow. That's like the epitome of flow. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really that's really interesting. Yeah, watching Nino ride, watching yep. yeah, watching Vanderpool. Yeah, you can yeah, see. I'd love to do a whole thing on flow. Oh yeah. Um, but one of the obviously biggest things that's going to lower our perceived effort on a, on a relative effort is going to be motivation. Okay. Which, um, you know, the, the title of the book is how bad you want it. Mm -hmm. Isn't that just a powerful question? It's an interesting question. You know, like, like picture yourself, you're climbing the price hill. Okay. Your group's getting away from you. Like what would happen if you asked yourself that question? Like, how bad do I want it? Mm, I think you'd either find out why that group is dropping you or you'd stop getting dropped. Those, those seem to be the two possible outcomes there. Interesting. I don't know. Because I've asked myself that question before and, and I've had different answers. Sometimes it's like, I don't know, I kind of don't. And that's okay. Like, that's fine. You know, like, I will never be a chess grandmaster because I don't feel like being one. I'm not motivated to win a chess tournament, but I am motivated to maybe finish point to point. That's like my big goal for next year, mm-hmm. right? I really want that. I really, you know, don't want to be the world's best pickleball player. So I'm not going to be, you know, it's kind of, an, it's another one, kind of attach morality to this too. You know, <laughs> you ever heard about like just the way people talk about this? I think it's interesting, you know? Yeah. So, you know, that's such an interesting question. I would say, you know, like if you're climbing that hill and you say, how bad do I want it? And you decide, you know what? I want this bad the next step is to just go prove it. Yeah. But one of the, um, one of the reasons I kind of read this, went through this book again, cause I had a question like, all right, how bad do you want it? That's, that's one thing. But you know, if your answer is like, I want this, it's the most important thing ever to me. That's, that's one thing, but kind of like, what if you don't want it? You know, um, what if you, what if your motivation is kind of like, waning a little bit you know yeah. um i almost thought that matt matt fitzgerald probably should write another book like called how to want it well because i've wondered that too like there was i remember there was like a, a, a finance class i needed to pass for my for my degree and uh, i remember kind of getting to the end of being like i wasn't very good at that but i was like i also kind of didn't care i'm like as long as i get I, i'm like i'm good enough at this to get a b and that's all i need to you know get my degree but i was like could i have if I really wanted to, I probably have the capability to have gotten an A in that class. I just didn't. And I'm like, I, it feels weird. Like that's, I'm saying it, it's like, I'm confessing this, but it's just the truth. I was like, I want a degree and I can get that with a B and I'm fine with that. You know? And it, I, cause I do think there are a lot of people that should go through of not being motivated to do anything and that's not right. But you also can't motivate, be motivated to do everything. Right. You know, like, you can't be an astronaut and a doctor and an Olympian and, you know, decode the human genome and be a human rights lawyer. And, you know, like there's a limit to everybody's motivation, right? There's some kid listening. It's like, hold my scratch. Yeah. It's a hold my scratch. That's funny. Yeah. There's probably some six year old Chinese kid who's done that. You know, I see those stories in the news all the time, but you, do you, does that track? Yeah. That makes sense. Right. You know, and, and I think that like, I think we're, we've talked about motivation before and it's something we're all going to like, have more of it sometimes and less of it other times. You yes. Know? Yeah. Um, but you know, if you ask yourself that, how bad do I want it? And 
maybe you're not wanting it all that much. Let's let's like talk about that for a little for a second because this is something I've thought a lot about lately. Yeah. Um, I think that. I I think probably like we operate and especially youth cyclists just tend to operate in spirals. Yes. Yeah. Know, we up, operate up or down. Up right? or down. Yeah. yeah. Like you know they taste a little bit of success. It feels good, motivates them to work a little harder. They work a little harder. They taste a little bit more success, and they keep spiraling up and up and up. And then, then you get knocked off your horse. Yeah, and then, and then like, you know, you you get a little disappointed. You lose a little bit of motivation to work as hard. You know, you start spiraling down downwards. You know, you never ride a bike again. Yeah. How many times have you seen that exact thing like, happen? We we spiral up and down. Yeah. You know, we could each and, name five kids we've seen that happen to. Yeah. It's a really common thing. Yeah. And. Obviously, we want to be on as many upward, upward spirals as we can. And, and I think the thing that really triggers that is, is success. Yeah. Is, is tasting winning. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like I think tasting winning to these kids is kind of like you see like a shark taste a little bit of blood or something. Yeah. And like I'm thinking of Finding Nemo. That's the only. No, it's, it's, that's, that's, that's how sharks are real. They yeah. do. <laughs> <laughs> I only know. Only, what I know about sharks I learned from Nemo. Good. But, okay. Um, they they get that little taste of blood and they just want more of it and more of it and because I was always felt like if a kid's good at all throw him in varsity, right? Like and you and I had this kind of disagreement about this one time where I was like this kid's good he should be racing varsity and then you kind of had the wisdom at the time to be like it might be good for this kid to go do JV and race for the podium instead of race for thirtieth you know even if they maybe could do varsity like and it, it probably depends on the personality too but like I kind of wish I'd done a year of JV I think it would have been good for me yeah so. Tasting winning is tasting, you know. but yeah, obviously tasting winning is motivating and it's right. hu- hugely motivating. But I think what we need to talk about is like, what exactly is a win? Yeah. Because you could also like, I could go do a beginner I cup and win it, but is that, a, yeah, I mean, I'd be at the top of the list, but is it a win? You know, like when Peter Sagan came and did that midweek with us, did he win? I mean, he won, but like, like, <laughs> was know. that a win for him? Right. Like, exactly. Even remember yeah. it? It's, like, it's interesting. Yeah. You know, and like the other day, so I finished point to point, my knee hurt, race didn't go as well as I wanted. I still had fun. A couple days after that, I was just kind of feeling a little bummed, you know, like I'm just like, I don't have any more races coming up. It's a little letdown, no I was, anticipation anymore. Yeah, I just didn't, you know, I was just kind of in a bit of a funk, you know, and I wasn't, I was losing a little bit of motivation, you know, and, and I went to a Skyline ride and I... You know, we we did kind of like some interval loop thing, and I was with I was with Josh Jackson. You know, had a fun ride with him, and and after he's like, he's like, well, we probably better start heading back to the parking lot. Should we go this way? I'm like, no, I think we could get there if we went this way a little faster. Turns out I was totally wrong. Okay, I, I totally kind of yep. I get turned around in Round Valley. You know, I kind of picked the not best way to get back that ended up adding probably a mile or two to our journey back. Um, and we took this trail and we were kind of having to ride it a little bit fast to get back before everyone left and it was dark and stuff, you know, and, um, and we were kind of pushing it like a fun tempo pace. And I started feeling a little bit of fall in the air and like, I was feeling good. And, you know, he was just like right on my tail, kind of pushing me. And yep. it just, it just felt so much fun. And I just came back from that, just energized, you know, I just felt so awesome and to me, that was a win. Yeah. That was a win, win, win. I just, it, it was just awesome to have that win. And that win kind of 
put me in a little bit more of an upward spiral where now I'm like thinking of all these kind of fun big rides that I want to do and um you know like like I, I think we all just need to think for a second like what would how would we define a win like like you know like there's I think in the JVB girls race there's like 80 people that line up to do that race I mean does that mean like whoever there's whoever wins and like 79 people just totally wasted their time well i would think that too because like how many races are there's what five categories six categories boys and girls that's you know 12 people can have a win and what a thousand kids show up to each of these division races like can only 12 people have a win you know because like you know i think a podium for a lot of kids is a win i think finishing for a lot of kids is a win I think that that podium isn't necessarily better than finishing, you know, like, yeah, because really, if, I mean, if we, we point out podiums because they're easy to point out. Yeah, exactly. It's easy to point out. Oh, you crossed the line first. But like, you know, a lot of those kids who finished on top of the podium, it wasn't a win because they're sandbagged, you know, like it's, you know, well, like for me, like when I do my ICUP expert 40 to 49 races, like for me, a win is not coming in last. Like, that's yep. kind of, yeah. And, and you know what? You talk about somebody tasting winning. Like, I pushed myself to do varsity and race pro I-cups in midweeks for years. And it was really bad for me because it's kinda, it is kind of hard to race for last chronically. You know, maybe it was good the first time or maybe the first year or two. But, like, um, I kind of, you have to, like, you, and it's, like, it's a hard question to ask. You have to sit back and be like, okay, what's a win going to look like? You know, because it can't be a place. Because if you get a flat tire but then heroically come back from that to finish the race you know you might not have finished top 10 like you wanted to but that could have been a huge win you know or if the the 10 people in front of you got abducted by aliens and suddenly you came across the line first that might not have been a win you know yeah i think um you, you know i think like a lot of times when when people don't feel motivated it's it's not that they're burned out or it's not it's just that they kind of don't have a purpose or a goal you know, or something they're striving for. And, and so my challenge for this next race coming up is just, I want everyone just to take a moment and kind of think of what would a win look like to you and, and think about, and I, I'd even love it if people would just like message me and text me and share with that with me. Like yeah. what, what would a win look like to you? And, and I would suggest even making it a little bit hard to achieve, you know, something that would stretch you just a little bit, but possible. Yeah. And, you know, and then go for it. And if, you know, if you're able to achieve that, you darn well better be happy about it. You yeah. Because. But you're not going to win every time. You're not going to win every time, you know, yeah. that's, yeah, but. It's okay to come up short. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a binary. You didn't win or lose. You could be close to winning, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, you know, like think of what a win would look like and, and shoot for that, you know, do, do everything in your power. Like you got to what, what, want what you want, you know? Yeah. Um, just do everything in your power to work and, and let me know how it goes, you know? And, and hopefully like my hope is that this kind of is enough. I mean, like my little win on that ride with Josh Jackson was a teeny little win that I guarantee nobody cares about. But you know what? It kind of put me on an upward spiral. Yeah. The upward spirals are so much nicer than the downward ones. Yes. So just find a, find a win that's going to put you on that upward spiral and just keep you strong throughout the rest of the season. And, and yeah. Yeah.
you know, nurture those upward spirals and mitigate those downward spirals, right? Is that kind of the, that's the point, right? <laughs> I guess so, yeah. yeah. So yeah, let me know what you think a win would be on this next race and then let me know how it went. and Go yeah. read How Bad Do You Want It? Yeah. It's a good book. Fantastic book. Read so. something. You probably get it in an audio book too. That's my big thing. Oh, yeah. Know? Go listen to that. Get some get some headphones and go do some go do some long rides. But send those. I'd love to run over some of those. Uh, follow up uh, after the race next week. You know, follow up with yourself. Set a reminder on your phone. You know, for the next day. And uh, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys soon. Okay.